Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here with our teacher panelists, Benji and Matt. How you doing, Benji Davis? How you doing, Matt Littman? How you doing, fellas? I'm brilliant. Thank you. Brilliant. Doing brilliant, as they say, where Matthew's from. Are you brilliant, Matthew? I am. I'm also wearing two pairs of socks today. I will confess, it has got a bit nippy in Israel. A bit nippy, recently. and so apparently you're, you, you're doing all right, is what you're apparently saying. Apparently, if my daughter's screaming is correct, I think it has begun snowing where I am. So that is very exciting. It's also snowing in Jerusalem. I literally, it is a white Christmas here in Jerusalem right now. No, no snow for those of us in Modena. And a very gray Efrat with big snow. I don't even think those are flakes. I don't know what they are, but they just started, so that's very exciting. Does that mean they're going to cancel Gone tomorrow? That's all that I've, day two of gone after six weeks. Are you saying it's going to cancel now because of little snow? Well, we can discuss that after the episode, Benji, because our topic for this week, <laughs> I know you're traumatized. You can delete it if no, you want. No, it's okay. Yeah. It traumatized. is traumatic. It is, well, traumatic is too strong a word, but it is, it is difficult, and we're all just uh, doing our... Difficult. That's the right word. Our topic for this week is, are the upcoming elections, now that the parties are officially submitted their lists... And we can, I guess, briefly review what that even means. Uh, our topic for this week is what's going to be different this time around? We have done three rounds of elections in the past year. Is there anything different? What's different? I do think that it's more of the same but quite different. And I think the differences are worth highlighting and explaining. So uh, what does okay. it mean that they submitted their lists? Who wants to explain that? That the parties have submitted their list. Yeah, I'm happy. Okay, so I'm happy to. So what you have to remember in Israel is when you vote in an election, you're not actually voting for an individual candidate. You're not voting for a person, but you're voting for a party. And the parties pr- before the elections, they present their list to uh, the election authority. And on that list that says uh, all the names of the people, they're ranked, like the top person in the party is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, etc. And they go all the way down. Once all the votes have been um, been cast, once all the ballots have been cast, they count up the number of votes, see how many votes were actually uh, casted, how many votes were made, cast, uh, were made, and then they divide that number by 120. From there, they figure out then how many votes are equivalent to each seat. There's 120 seats in the Knesset. And then according to how many um, seat, how many votes and how many seats you rece- your party received, they then go down the list. So if your party received five seats, they go one, two, three, four, five on the list. The top five people get in. But if you only get five seats, then whoever is six, seven and below they are scratched off and they do not get into the Knesset. So for the bigger parties, um, it's really it, it, it's less significant exactly how high up the list you are, as long as you're in a good, safe position. In the smaller parties, the, where they're polling, say, four or five seats, that difference between in, being in place number four, being in place number five, can make a big difference between being in the Knesset and not being in the Knesset. And right now, we've passed the deadline that they have to submit. So now we know, after all the haggling and all the back and forth, which parties are actually running and who is actually on, who is, are actually on each list. And when we hold up the polling, we know there are more parties running than we'll get into Knesset. There's a minimum number of votes you have to get to even be considered to the Knesset. 
right now we have a pretty decent idea from the polling of where they're going to land in the Knesset. And some of the parties are basically new. Some of the parties have transformed and evolved. You know, my metaphor is always the lava lamp. They, they break up, they clump together. And so what are the new parties this round that didn't, that weren't there last time? Any brand new parties? I, I, sorry, I think, I think it's also just worth pointing out in terms of what you were saying, uh-huh. Mike, was that some of these parties, one of the reasons these lists are important as well is some of the parties sort of smushed together, as you said. So somebody who made, so the lists, the, the positions on the lists also alter. Because if you've got two parties now combining forces or two parties breaking up, that's going to also affect who is on the party slate as well and which numbers there are on the party slate. Um, and this time around, there are some new alliances. There's some alliances that have broken up, uh, exactly as you, as you so said. So let's start with Likud. I also yeah, want to... Wait, wait. First, I just want to chime in one thing, which I don't know if it was clear, but just to really be clear, is we are not voting for prime minister in this election. It is a legislative election exclusively. And after the legislative election, then there's a whole other process to figure out who the prime minister will be to see if we can come up with a governing coalition from the results of the parliamentary election. So there's this big confusion in Israel where it's like, who are you voting for prime minister? I'm not actually voting for anyone for prime minister. I'm just voting for a party. And so it's so funny because some of the middle parties, the smaller to middle-sized parties, are saying that their leader is a candidate for prime minister. Um, but it's does that's not true. They're just the number one on their list. Although it could be that they it could be. based on the structure of the Israeli election system, and it's actually the only way that there's Bibi's not prime minister is if perhaps a member or the head of one of these parties is able to form a government where if the numbers and the polls come out that Likud doesn't have a government with its natural allies in the far right, for example, in Bennett, but let's say Yair Lapid or Gidon Saar or Naftali Bennett, who all say they're running for prime minister, they could put a government together with 13 to 18 seats and Likud has 30. Um, so yes, they could end up becoming prime minister, but the technicalities of it, we're not voting for prime minister. You simply vote for a party and you, based on the percentage then those members of Knesset, those members on the list will get a Knesset seat based on the percentage. So if it's 25% of the vote, that party would get 30 seats. Right. And, and just to add by the same token, people often ask me, who do you think will win? Right. People often there's say, no winner. There, there is no winner. Right. It, it, it takes that whole process that Benji is describing of coalition building until you figure out who is in the government. And not in the government. So it's not like in a a, a first-past-the-post political system where the most votes or most electoral colleges, whatever it is, where that person wins. This is a much more complex and long-winded sort of process to figure out who the winners and losers are. The citizens vote for the... That's why we keep having elections. The citizens... No one wins. The citizens vote for the legislature, and then there's a legislative process of coalition-making to create the government. Citizens don't vote for the government directly. Right. Correct. That was a nice way yeah. of putting it. Who is... Are you a teacher? I, I do that sometimes. And I would say for a living, but... Eh. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a paid hobby. <laughs> uh, 
Likud is Likud. That things have not changed much, although, as we know, they've lost pieces. So they're they're not polling as high as they were. Currently, Likud holds like 36 seats, and they're polling at around at something probably not 30 seats, probably under 30 seats. And the Likud... 28 to 31, based on the list that yeah. we're looking at. And so... Mostly 28, 29. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, they, it is a weaker party. Although, by far, the largest party, it is a weaker party now than it was last time. So that's one difference, that B.B.'s Likud party is weakened. And part of what weakened it is a new party called New Hope, Tikva Chadasha, led by Gidon Sar. Who is Gidon Sar, and how did that hurt Likud? So I'm wondering if it actually Well, let's explain Likud? to the listeners before we do our meta-analysis. Who is Gidon Sar? Fair enough. Uh, Gidon Sar came into the Likud politics a long time ago. He worked closely with Bibi. And for he left politics, was it five or six years ago, as he kind of achieved what he could achieve being the number two to BB, realizing there was nowhere room to grow in the Likud. Then he came back, and he's seen as kind of a challenger to the BB, the head of Likud. He ran in the primaries against Likud, uh, BB, lost 72% to 28%, um, and didn't get a minister job in the recent government. It's been pushed aside, has no influence. And he seems to be more state-menly, if that's like mamlachti in Hebrew. I don't really know how to say that in English, but more institutional, statesman type of person. Let the institutions do it work. It's less about about the individual charisma running things through. Yeah. I mean, listen, he's a right-wing dude. Let's not not kid ourselves. He has a problem with the activism of the judiciary. He's against the two-state solution. Uh, as the interior minister, who's pretty mean to African he refugees is a and migrants in but South he's a classically Kudnik. He's not the. Oh, he's yeah. against Bibi and his style. He's a national yeah. liberal or a liberal nationalist in the Jabotinskian sense, Iron Wall, all that stuff. And he's left Likud because, and he's right in a way. I think he could form a government with all these other parties that are on the right, even the center left, in the way that Bibi can't because of his corruption issues. And he's saying, listen, it's just ridiculous. Thank you, Bibi, for all you've done, but like you're causing lots of problems now. You need to get out of the way because Israel doesn't have unity. We don't have stable governments. We can't get anything done with you here. And he couldn't reform the Likud, so he left the Likud. And he, you know, he brought four or five members of Knesset with him, the most influential being Zev Elkin. But otherwise, everyone who went with him was not a shocker because they already supported him before. And so he formed his own party called New Hope. I, I can't do the Star Wars theme song. I'm thinking of it, but I can't sing it. Well, let's get Star Wars against the Likud. Nice. So New Hope, Tikvah And why I said I'm not, and this is where I'll, I'll stop talking. I don't know how many of the percentage of the seats he's getting polling right now, anywhere from 13 to 16. When he came out at the gate, it was like 21, 22. But I still think most of those seats or polls or sorry, the percentage in the polls he was getting, is the breakup of blue and white. And a lot of the center-right voters are going to him. Uh, less so, I think, than natural Likud voters. And yes, if Likud's lost five or six seats based on polling, and maybe Sars holding a couple of them and Yamin is holding a couple of them, but the majority of his support comes from former blue and white voters, in my opinion. Yeah. And he's polling, like you say, mm-hmm. 13, 14, something like that. We'll see what he comes in with this new right-wing party. That weakens Likud, but also weakens some of the other center parties, which now include what was blue and white is now once again two parties. 
because and, and Matt, you want to take yeah. a shot at that one? Uh, this might be a little more <laughs> a little more complicated than the one Benji had. Um, prior to the first round, and I, and I will apologize in advance. Sometimes the fact that we have those three elections so close to each other means, in my mind, they kind of smush together, and I'm not always clear which happened first election, second election, third election. Well, just so last please, election. Uh, just last election. Okay, so the last election we had um, this alliance between Yair Lapid, who um, is a former government minister. He'd been in the government alongside Bibi at various points. Ran a party he called Yeshatid. He was the leader of the Yeshat. And he was the leader of the Yeshatid party. Um, then Benny Gantz, who was a former chief of staff, he formed his own party, Chosen uh, Li Israel, Israeli Resilience. And together, and with a couple of smaller factions, they joined together because they represented sort of like that centrist, leftist, center-left, anti-BB ticket, mm-hmm. basically. And for three election campaigns, they campaigned together. They joined Yeshatid and this Israeli resilience to form the Blue and White Party, again, with those smaller factions as well. And their main ticket, their main issue was, we are not going to sit in a government with BB. They, they even said openly that they would be prepared to sit with um, the Likud. It wasn't that they were ideologically opposed to the Likud. It was that they were opposed to having somebody who was under indictment and with all the distractions of that causes and with the moral issues of that causes they promised and all not the other problems of that causes. They promised not to sit with BP. So we come around towards the, uh, to the end of the third election. And we're coming towards the time when it looks like the, there's still no hope of making that 61 majority. And that, remember, even if you get to 61, that is crazy wafer thin to have as your functioning government. So really, you want to have at least like 65, 66 to get your, you know, to have a little leeway. Um, and as it looked like that was not going to happen, there wasn't going to be a majority. Um, Benny Gantz announced that he was joining um, uh, BB in a national unity government yeah elapid said <laughs> hang on a second we've been promising for all this time that we're not going to join bb i am not joining bb so they broke up yesh atid uh, had to revert there was a, a legal issue about it but yesh atid reverted back to being called yesh atid benny gunt got to keep all the uh, branding and the marketing and all the things for blue and white and Which they is not working the- out for him which now it's not, but at the time people thought, oh, lucky him, he gets to keep all the posters and the T-shirts and all those things. I don't things. think anybody um, thought lucky Ben Gantz. Well, unless you like free T-shirts. If you like swag, they thought uh, lucky Benny Gantz. A great 1990s movie with James But Perry. he went into... Lehu Zeher. He went into the <laughs> unity government with well, Bibi because in a pandemic, he felt that we can't have any more of these political divisions and that has to take priority. So he was going back on his promise. Yes. And Lapid said, no, the pandemic can't pr- take priority. Not having a prime minister under indictment has to take priority. That's what broke the party. The unity government meant... Yes, and Benny yeah, Gantz... And, and Benny Gantz, he, he presented himself as being like the ultimate statesman because he was putting aside as you say, political issues and, and squabbles in order to sort of save the country from corona. Yeah. Now, we we kind of know what happened. And he also entered into this um, prime ministerial sharing arrangement with Bibi Netanyahu, that Bibi Netanyahu would be prime minister for two years. And then after that, Benny Gantz would get his time for two years. Yeah. Now, I always tell 
Uh, okay, whatever the original 18, was. 18 but months, correct. 18 and 18. Okay, so I always tell my students, if somebody tells you they can predict in Israeli politics and they can predict what's going to happen, they're either not so smart or they're not telling the truth or they really don't know. But I did predict. I tried to make a prediction, and my prediction was there's no way on earth that Benny Gantz was ever going to get his turn. That was my humble prediction. That was a terrible prediction. Just because became, it came out true, don't be proud of yourself. Yeah, I... I I, I like your first rule. I, I think there's something. Can I add one thing here yeah. about? Um, I think Benny. I mean, I'll, I'll say personally, I thought it, it se- the statesmanlike move to, to unity government when we didn't understand what Corona was going to be in this crazy pandemic, and the polling played out that two thirds of blue and white voters went with him. He got about twenty, and Yair Lapid was getting about ten. I think why he was doomed to fail from the get go. Yeshatid has been around the block, and they have a political identity. Yair Lapid is a known personality. They have a base. Benny Gantz had no political identity besides the new kid on the block that could maybe take down Bibi and was never going to sit with him and had the bravado of the tall Ashkenazi guy with the nice blue eyes. That who was also, right, who represented security, who was somebody day. who would never compromise on security. Right. He represented security, stability, trustworthiness, all the things that, for people that really don't like Bibi, the reasons why they don't like Bibi, and then you go and join him, you lose. He lost his credibility from from the get go, and he, he lost his political identity, and he hasn't been able to build it up. As in, why is Blue and White still polling at four or five in lots of these polls? Like, who are their voters? And I, I read something that it's a lot of like old Avodah labor voters that like Blue and White because it's like the Mapai, the original Labor Party. You know, serious people that are centrist, not crazy leftists. Whereas a lot of people interpret the new Labour Party, which we'll talk about, is no different than merits and just kind of a Tel Aviv party. Um, but right, I think Benny Gantz lost his political identity the moment he he went to join a government. With I disagree because his only political identity was if it had worked, Rock if Lobby, it had worked, he would have a strong political identity. He would have become pr- the prime minister. But because BB wasn't sincere and outplayed him. That destroyed him because one thing in politics nobody uh, likes, well, but especially you, nobody in Israel likes, is enough. a loser. And so Bibi played him as a sucker. And so that crushed his political career. Had Bibi been sincere, right. which most if of us didn't believe, going into as Matt unity predicted. government with Minnie Mouse, it's, but that's because everyone in the political scene, it's not a prediction. It, it was like Torah Misenai, like we knew this was going to happen. Like everyone said it, everyone believed it. No one thought it was actually going to happen. And look, I will where we play are. back the tapes. But I agree with you, Mike. It I didn't will play have to back the way. tapes from episodes of each of us saying, "We don't know what's going to happen." I know it's un. We take a vote, take a guess. Each of us said we don't think BB is going to hand it over to Gantz, but you never know. We all said you never right. know because we're smart. And I supported it, and I. You know, I was a blue and white voter three times over, and I thought he made the right move at the time. But uh, I soured on Gantz pretty quickly because he couldn't, you know, he didn't bring the, he, he didn't. That's my only quibble. It didn't work out. He didn't do As you he, say. But also he didn't do what he'd promised to do. What he promised to do was to tackle Matt, corona. you're, you're so fixated on breaking the, the promise. Most people weren't upset at him for breaking a promise under an emergency circumstance. That's not what it was. Right, Blue and white was stronger. He was stronger uh, than Lapid. You're, 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 don't rewrite history. Yeah, you're right. That's why he was number one and Lapid nah, was two. Nah, I know. But, what but it was more than the breaking do, the promise. It was he, he... Matt, explain why most people from Blue and White supported Gantz after he broke his promise. Explain. 
because I, 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 I think, and, and this, I think she was alluding to this before, right? people recognize that actually this was quite a, an important step and people, re- people appreciated and wanted strong leadership to get us through this crisis right now. The, so then um, they weren't the mad at him for breaking included, his promise. It wasn't, I don't think that, I think it was that he broke his promise in order to achieve a certain goal, right? So most people thought but he did the right thing. that certain goal, I don't know if most people, I, I don't have like most a Most blue and white voters sort of thought he did the right thing. Yeah, um, those that weren't committed to Yale Lapid, I think. Two-thirds right? followed Gantz, essentially saying he did the right thing. To say that most people were mad at yes. him for breaking his promise, I don't think is an accurate read. Most people said, maybe Not it'll work, let's outset. give him a shot. I don't think that ended his political career at that Agreed. moment. No, but I, I, I think when my, he, my he, argument he was, is, Mike, he is was that humiliated I think, by correct. Netanyahu. That was the problem. Right, but he humiliated the humiliation by destroyed correct. his political identity. Correct. That's well, what his, it was. It, yeah, it wasn't the was initial it? breaking of the promise. It's that... He went into it without much going for him besides what the promise he broke. So, okay, we'll give you some leniency, but now you've got to be an all-star. You've got to be the LeBron James of defense ministry, of this alternative prime ministership, and you've got to play BB. Like, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing, and the complete opposite happens. So it's like, okay, you broke a promise, and you're not really good at being a leader and tackling the issues. And, like, you didn't even take the, the, the health ministry and other ministries that are tackling corona and gave it all to Likud. So, like, really, you went to tackle Corona, and it seems like you, you didn't really, you know, do what you said you were going to do. I think that was also very He was harmful. a sucker who well, was... That's a- why when you say... Right, when Benji says he, he... About the identity, not having a political identity, well, the political identity was based on not being Bibi, right, and being an alternative to Bibi. So when he had to put that to the side and join Bibi, it's, okay, now my identity is I'm coming on my white horse... And I'm saving the country from the economic mess and the health mess and the education mess that Corona is causing. But he didn't save us, right? We spent the most amount of time in, in lockdown of any country around the world. We've got something like a 20% unemployment rate. Kids have not been in school for months on a time. He, he hasn't saved us. And that is where that identity, that second stage identity kind of... He well, lost. we're talking in circles. He got outplayed by BB is the reason. And BB's in charge of all of that. And most people assigned blame for that to BB. So he lost his identity because yeah. BB just voters dominated that he did him that, it seems. and crushed him. And so that destroyed his identity. Yeah. BB yeah. crushed his the, – the strongest political threat to BB going into the last election was Gantz. He is now not a threat to anybody with his four little seats. Yair Lapid, who rebuilt Yeshatid, is frankly a bigger threat to Bibi, and he is not a threat to Bibi. Giron Saar is almost certainly not a threat to Bibi. Gentlemen, almost nobody's a serious threat to Bibi. Bennett's not a threat to Bibi. Can, can I pose a theory, by the way, about why Gantz is still in the election? Um, and I, I think it's not a... I think it's a little smart on his part, which is, if we're going to balance and go to a fifth election... And blue and white gets at least four Knesset seats, but there's no new government. So the current government is still the transition government. And if there's no government by November, a, no, a new government, according to the basic laws of our country, Gantz must become the prime minister. Yeah. So I, I think that's the only reason. I don't know if it's the only reason, but it's certainly a good reason. He might end up, yeah. As in, he still has an incentive where he actually could become prime minister. Guys, I mean, look at the polls, are, and we could talk about this. Oh, 
There's no clear coalition for either there side. There are always second acts in Israeli politics and third acts and fourth acts and fifth acts. Right now, Gantz is pulling it for in a tiny little inconsequential party. In this next election, he is inconsequential. Bibi Netanyahu was crushed in the 90s. Uh, uh, Ariel Sharon was driven out of politics in the 80s. And people come back. So I don't know what his plans are. Quite frankly, I don't think he's a politician. I don't think he likes politics. So this might be an exit. And he just wants to see. Let's see. He might end up prime minister out of it. He might. I don't know. He might end up prime minister or might giving Bibi the prime ministership with the solid right-wing coalition if he doesn't get 3.25% of the vote. And you lose anti-Bibi votes that way. Who knows? Who knows? And Yeshatid is back to its traditional role, back to what it was before it joined with blue and white we also have the arab parties have split not all of them but it's not the four arab parties anymore which was joint list was which which had i think it had at at its height it had like 15 seats by breaking up they've divided their power right now it has 15 seats Mm -hmm. and they because one of the parties ram should we have to explain ram they, right, they've divided their power, but Ram is unlikely now to get into the into the Knesset. Yeah. So the others will still get in. They'll get in with less seats, but they, they'll Bibi still get in. Bibi has played them too. Although it's not clear because most of their voters are Bedouins in the Negev, the northern Negev, and it's not clear we do such a good job at polling them in the polls is what I've read. I mean, I'm no expert in polls. I've just, I just read stuff about it. Um but what's really interesting is they're an Islamic fundamentalist party, though, that believes that they should work with the Israeli right um, to, you know, work on behalf of their constituents, which, by the way, ideologically, you know, they're a very right-wing party. Their leaders are polygamists, right? They're conservative. They're against well, rights for right LGBTQ. Way. I mean, it's – well, they're conservative in a way not, that I, I would not, uh, is popular. They're not on, on the, the spectrum. Right I don't think. I don't think you can put them onto the spectrum that we put other things. Polygamy is not on the Western democracy right wing of politics. It's a whole other culture. Correct, but it's, they just don't fit. They just they're don't religious fit. conservatives. They're religious conservatives who don't want buses to run on Shabbat. On the Israeli political spectrum, they are not on it. No. Oh, sorry. I'm speaking on a much more macro. I know, but in like a political kind of party discussion. Be careful. In separate. A general scheme yeah. of things. Use your terms. They're not. They're not a right wing party. I, I sorry. I thought it was a. Sorry. I will re-clarify because this is your favorite thing, Michael, is getting to the clarification of clarifications, which is in a if you're looking at the grand scheme of things about politics, a party with religious conservatives with very conservative beliefs on how the world works and how their societies should look. Traditionally, they find themselves in the political arena on the right as a conservative party, and they're very conservative in their worldview, in their Islamic worldview on things. But when we're talking about Israeli politics of how we determine right and left, I agree with you that they don't fit the classic definition of the right because it's their pol- defense policies against Gaza would be very different than the Likuds, for example, because of their specific Islamic conservative Arab identities. Which would mean um, they don't, they're not really associated but, but with the I, political that's why I right think either they would handle Gaza differently, right? No, but right, but I think there is there's the conservative values um, that are more comfortable on the right, and I think there could be room for cooperation 
like the Haredi parties in Ram on religious conservatism in society in a way, you know, where the Hadash party of the joint list is communist would find much closer to home with merits and labor on terms of humanist values and Maybe, things like but that. That's why I, I predict Ram could be on the right. In I don't that predict way. that Ram is going to want to stop train construction on Shabbat. In other words, I think their issues are, are, are ultimately somewhat different. Shas and UTJ, the Haredi parties, basically the same and are basically going to be the same size. And there is a big fight in Israeli yeah. politics today over whether anyone should take them into the coal, uh, a coalition. I can guarantee you uh, Likud will happily take them into a coalition because that's how they get their numbers. Well, why, why, is that, why is that fight happening? Well, it's always a tension. But right now, the tension with the Haredi world because of what we talked about last week, because of the, uh, their inability to follow uh, uh, COVID guidelines – and the fact that they're like 10 to 12% of the population, but like 20, I forgot, 25% of the cases and deaths, uh, they're seen as a, as a major cause of the epidemic. And so uh, their inability to function within social confines because of all the reasons we discussed last week with Chaviv means that most people just want them out of political leadership. And Bibi will do it because that's how he's going to get his 61. So that's that. I, I do think there might be a, th- a little bit of a threat to their political popularity within the Haredi street and how much the rabbis have control over their voters that they have traditionally, which is the new religious Zionist party, um, which is religiously the religious Zionist party of Smotrich, Otsmayudit, and Noam. Um, they're not, you know, theologically so much different than, Hare- uh, than the, the Haredi parties, perhaps, on the, once again, on the traditional values that they agree upon, not necessarily different sects. Um, and the uh, far-right politics of certain um, sectors of the Haredi society that I think what's putting the religious Zionist party over the edge of four or five seats is enough votes from the Haredi sector, uh, as in the Haredim have another political home, think perhaps, in the religious Zionist party. Because I read it and I saw people on the news talking about really? it. Really? Where, where did yeah. you read that? Because that's not something I'd heard of, and I'm very, very surprised, oh, really? by, that. surprised by that. Okay, so I will have to remember and go... Right, it's not like I have this astute, keen political analysis. Um, well, that I, I, I really can't remember... Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> no, as in, I, it's not original. I mean, I, I, and it seems to make sense to me. Oh, I now know where I got it from. The Haaretz podcast Anshel Pfeffer on the elections. Ah, uh, uh, okay. So I, I'm not sure that Haaretz would be my number one reliable source for discussing the Haredi Why street. no? Maybe An- I'm just wild. Why? He's a... He, and it was another... Um, I forgot her name who hosts the podcast with him, and it, maybe it was... Uh, the guest was Brenjror Yamini. I can't remember. Like, serious political minds uh, on this stuff. I, I'm not saying Anshul Feth is not a serious political mind. I, I, I think a lot of no, but ha- are it's, ha- so. are it's, it's not right. It's not a Haredi <laughs> newspaper or an outlet, but as in they can definitely analyze it and see that there's been a like the Haredi sector since the 90s, uh, they're much more right wing than they used to be. Right. And but, in a way that if there's not a difference if they're Khardal, which is religious Zionists, is they're more a Khardal party, right? Um, what would you say? Like Haredi but that's Dati Lumi. But that's different from Haredi. I, I would be interested. No, I know. So I'm just... saying is the religious, as in, if, 
this was the argument, and I don't have a lot to prove it beyond the argument that I heard, but I think it's an interesting one, which is if religiously, the religious Zionist party, which is much, it's very Haredi in how they project what Judaism is, but they're just very right-wing on the Zionist part and on the conflict and their approach towards Arabs and other people that they don't find to be so supreme, right? That maybe that fits the viewpoint and worldviews of other uh, people in Haredi society in that it's not so black and white, the divisions between Khardal, religious Zionist, and Haredi for some people. And the question is, if the Haredi society is becoming more free and less um, reliant on rabbinic authority of who they should vote for, then the, the thesis is that this would be a perfect home for them. And since Batal Smotrich's party was never polling over the edge and Otsmayudit and Noam were getting point-something percent of the vote, that it seems that really what gets them over 3.25 is there some voters in the Haredi uh, street. That's the okay. argument, and I think it makes sense uh, to me. I, I agree. It's very interesting. That's why I was asking you so much about it, because it, it, it was a new approach for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it. I'm also really interested... Like after the elections, right? They, they produce this list of where everybody voted for in each sort of municipality in each kind of voting station, and I'll be interested if that holds water. Like to see like the polling stations. When I mean, you can't know during polling. You can only like, know in post-election, and right. and we'll see if that's how true many or people not. in Beitar elite and Modini elite and Bnei Brak are voting. I'm very for skeptical. Party. Exactly. Well, that's a I'm not. very skeptical. The numbers from Shas and UTJ haven't changed. Uh, the collapse of Bayi Yehudi, which was the religious Zionist alternative, uh, means that those seats that would have gone to Bayi Yehudi are now going to Smotrich and the racist and uh, homophobe party, which is not only... Well, you don't think they're going to Yamina? Some of them went to Yamina, which is why Yamina is growing in size, which is, the new, which is the right-wing party, which existed before but now is bigger. And some of them, in other words, Bayi Yehudi split. The left wing of Bayat Yehudi is is now, or the the non racist, uh, homophobe, the Mamlachti. Yeah, the 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 more modern Orthodox have joined Yamina. They've left Bayat Yehudi for Yamina, and the less modern Orthodox, the more racist, homophobe, uh, anti Western values, uh, fundamentalists. Matthew, I don't know why you're laughing. I completely, I think it's totally normal what he's saying. It's crazy that they're going to be, Michael, can I ask I, you I think it's horrific, and, I think, and I think BB's support for them and wanting them in his coalition is, is really dangerous to the future of our democracy, because this is a party that doesn't believe in democracy. I, uh, I, I don't think I'm being, I mean, I think I'm just being descriptive. I, I, I am, as a religious Zionist, I, agree. I, am, I am deeply in pain over it, but I'm trying now to speak as an educator and not as a, not as a person... Itamar Ben-Gvir, I think he said this or it was reported that he said that he wants influence in the future government to influence Arab immigration yep. to get out of here. I, I, he I wants those comments power well. to get rid of Arabs to leave. He's a racist. State of Israel. It's a racist party. Israel. that there were, went Back in the day when I was a younger man and there was a religious Zionist party called Mafdal, Maflaget Atile Umi, that, that, that party would not would walk out of the room when somebody from Ben Gvir's world would get up to speak in the Knesset to show that we as religious Zionists are against that kind of racist evil. It doesn't fit with Torah values. The fact now that there is a party called religious Zionists that now joins, is now built out of that party, out of the Noam party, which is the homophobic party, trying to destroy the rights of homosexuals in Israel. The fact that that calls itself religious Zionist party 
And now the prime minister of the state of Israel is encouraging them to run together so that he can have more seats for his coalition is an existential danger to the future of Israeli democracy. I don't think in the short term, but it's the kind of thing where we all have to – look, it's 2021. We all recognize that democracy is a delicate thing that requires constant vigilance. And these are absolute threats to democracy. Saying that we're going to treat citizens dif differently based on ethnicity or sexual preference is against the stated goals of the state of Israel uh, in its declaration of independence. So – I think it's I, I think it's not religious. I think it's not Zionist, but that's my that that is my two cents. Uh, I think it's still descriptive. Um, it is do you descriptive. think any of your neighbors in Efrat will? Oh yeah, for, them? for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, I think less in Efrat than let's you say think? in Ofra. You know what I mean? Like Efrat. Efrat's no, of a much course, more modern. But that's what I'm saying is I want to know how mainstream they are within the religious classical religious Zionist settler world where Efrat usually gets. Well, you see, you see, Efrat's going to mostly vote Likud, and then number two is going to be Yamina, and then religious Zionists, this is my prediction, is going to be much lower. But they'll be, yeah, for sure. Oh, really? You don't think Yamina was Likud always number one in Efrat in recent usually, elections? It usually, wasn't? usually. Yeah, Efrat's really kind of, for, for a West Bank city, is pretty mainstream. Fair enough. Uh, you also have a read. A, a sort of trying to reboot the classic labor party, which has shrunk down to almost insignificance. It's gotten a little bit of a bump from its new leader. Anyone? Mirav Mikhaili. Yeah. Anyone have anything to say about that as we run out of time? Well, I, I think one of the things that's important pointing out, when we talked before about unity government, that, that actually Labor joined that government. Right? Yeah. Labor joined the same government that Benny Gantz joined with, with Bibi. Um, and Merav Michaeli, actually, who's now the leader, she refused to join the government. She said, no, no, I'm still sitting in the opposition. This is crazy. Um, and those members of the Labour Party who actually became ministers, um, Amir Peretz and Itzik Shmueli, have now taken a back seat from the Labour Party and are not, in, are not running this time around. So that she said, look, we're, as you called it, a reboot, right? She, they were given the boot. Rebooted. Huh? Well, those guys were given the boot. Yes, that's also true. Um, so there's an attempt to reestablish sort of a reasonable uh, left-wing presence. Yeah. In the first election, in uh, whenever that was, uh, in I really don't remember April or March 2019 <laughs> or something. Um, Labor and Merit got ten, they got ten seats together. It was like six and four or something like that. And what's the recent poll we're looking at right now? It's six and four. Yeah. As in the the their voters are back. It's and seen. merits also. As in, Labor and merits are going to be small. Yeah, yeah. merits is always four or five on the threshold. They get through. By the way. And Labor's been consistently polling in this election cycle at around History six. trivia. Uh, Mirav Michali so. is Rudolf Kastner's granddaughter. The famous uh, Kastner train, the Kastner trial. That's his granddaughter. Anyway, uh, I don't think that if you add up the math together, the <laughs> natural coalition for BB is going to be easy to get. I don't think the natural coalition for the opposition – is going to be easy to get. And so either way, we're bound to have chaos after the election. Does that math work out? It's it's going to be f the most fun part is not the actual election. It's what happens yeah, afterwards. And get ready because neither one has a clear shot at 61 seats.
let alone 66. So, so j- look just forward, our listeners, to our next episode on the fifth election in four months. <laughs> Please don't say that. But just to, j- just to point out, Mike and I actually we did some math the other day when we were going through this. Yeah. There is a sort of pathway, but those pathways are pretty unrealistic. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. You can, you can, if you squint, you can no, see the pathway, but shift. it's really hard to get to for either side. Uh, right. You really have to hack through the weeds to get through the path. Depend. You can. You, Bye, man. Right, yeah, sorry, we're, we're actually. Sorry, I mean, we are out of time. Teach. We're at forty. This minutes. is a real teacher's lounge. You have to go to class now. With my coffee. Bye, All guys. right. Bye, guys. Thanks, listeners. Thank That's you. the end of the episode. Bye, bye.